friends, and welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, is my co-host and producer... Snyderman, 501 Nick Snyder. And our techno-mage, Ren. Hello. Nick, remind our aliens how they can get a hold of us. They can find us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Area 51H. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a half. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about on our show today. Yes, we do. Now, the first thing I have to say is we did we started doing the trailer trash videos. Yep. And we did one for Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I had mentioned about the 1983 Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, one of my all-time favorite Saturday morning cartoons. And it's got this really beautiful end credit score. It's a gorgeous cartoon, and I found Ren pointed this out, and it made me kind of more excited for the video. Ren, tell me, tell, tell, tell our aliens what you told me. So they're going to have some characters in the new movie that are designed after the characters in the in the '80s TV show. Yeah. So they're going to have those characters hidden around in the background, apparently. And there's also going to be uh, cameos from the Critical Role cast, which is going to be very interesting. For all of us who know that. So now I've kind of changed my mind a little bit. I want to see it. So along those lines, uh, Hasbro released their first look on their D&D action figures. And they actually have action figures done up from that cartoon, which look, they look good. I like those. Yes. Those are cool. Shut up and take my money. Right? <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. I am down for that. You <laughs> sent me those pictures and I was like, oh, right? Yes. Right? Oh, I, I did. I loved that cartoon. I thought it was great. And of course, they have the toys based on the movies as well, and that looks good as well. Yeah, it, it, you know what? It just didn't last long enough, and maybe it was too expensive to make. I don't know. But it's the first time I became aware of voice actor Frank Welker. Really? Yeah. Because I was so interested in it, I wanted to know like who did all the voices. So I actually read the voices in the, the end credit. And Frank Welker is just so influential in voice acting, like literally the man of a thousand voices. Yeah, and Don Moist, who played Ralph Mouth on Happy Days, is one of the voice actors in it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's so cool. So it actually had some like really good actors in it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to sort of see this movie. I, I stand by what I said in the trailer trash, but I'm kind of excited to see it too. So... Anyway, uh, sad news. Sad news. We always, I always hate when we have to do this, but we have to do it. Uh, songer, songer, <laughs> songwriter and composer uh, Burt Backrat passed away. Yeah, uh, he was. I think he was in his nineties. Oh wow! I think he was. Uh, but it, it, the name might not be familiar to some of our younger audience. But if you have watched the Austin Powers movies. Austin Powers sits there and says, and now here's Burt Bacharach, yeah. you know, and he plays one of his songs, What the World Needs Now. And, and Raindrops is one of his songs. Yeah. And they use that in Spider-Man too. Yeah, but yeah. that's but that's also from uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid with oh. Robert Redford and Paul Newman. That's what it was written for. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so, cool. I mean, like his, his songs, uh, you've heard one of his songs, even if you don't know who he is. And, and that's really important to what we do here is the whole pop culture thing, because when you have a... A songwriter, an artist like that, whose work is just used in such a wide array, whether it's used in Austin Powers, I've heard it in The Simpsons, Spider-Man as well. Like, yeah. It, it has its influence. Yeah, and just in a, in a ton of movies. And speaking of movies, Raquel Welch has also passed away. Now, Raquel Welch was one of the original um, 
poster girls, yeah. original beauty. And she didn't even know that it was going to become iconic because she did this movie called One Million Years B.C., and she's in a caveman bikini. And just the pose, the shot of it, it was used on the poster. This catapulted her into stardom and the fantasy realm, if you will, into science fiction and fantasy and, of course, uh, male fantasy of the time. Yeah. But uh, she was just a, a stunning woman and just a talented, talented actress. And she had no idea that that was going to become as iconic as it did. So it's very sad when these things happen and we have to report them. And of course, there is never any easy segue after that, but it is time for Nick's Roundup. All right, so it has been a busy couple weeks. So first and foremost, I want to talk about this. Just a quick note on this. There's going to be a new Riddick movie with Vin Diesel. I'm excited for that. I've enjoyed. I enjoyed Pitch Black. I enjoyed the other Riddick movies. I thought and Pitch Black was better than Riddick. Honestly, yes, I do agree with that. Pitch Black is the best of the three. But honestly, I like Vin Diesel in that character. I'm excited for it. And Barney's back. The lovable big purple dinosaur is back in CGI form. John. Oh, charming, charming. Yes, Barney. Here's, here's my Barney. I'm going to do my Barney imitation. I love you, you love me, you'll taste good in my tummy with some salt and pepper and a little cayenne. In we go to the roasting pan. Oh, Barney, he is back to annoy a whole new generation of kids. But you know what? I don't, I don't mind that in a way because when I was a Sunday school teacher, I had this little girl... And I said, okay, kids, it's time to clean up now. And she's, she does the Barney thing. She's like, clean up, clean up, clean up everywhere. Clean up, clean up, everyone do their share. And I'm like, can I just take her home and give her, you know, a mop and let her Yeah, let her... put her to work. <laughs> All right. That so kid would be in her 30s now. <laughs> no. uh, I Am Legend 2 is coming out. Will Smith is returning. And joining him will be Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently it's going to be... Backing off of the alternative ending, I don't know how that's going to work out. But well, it's just where he slaps him. Oh, <laughs> that joke does not slap. Anyway, <laughs> we've got Return to Silent Hill coming up as well. Really? Yes. Okay. So I'm excited for that. I enjoyed both the other Silent Hill movies. I like the games. They want to adapt that again to a movie. I'll watch that. I will sit down and watch that with a smile on my face because it works. Are they filming it here again? Don't know. Don't know. Mm. So for those who don't know, we live in the town where Silent Hill 2 was filmed. Partially filmed. A couple other films well, have been filmed they, here they, as well. They though. didn't really film it. They took shots of the downtown. and No, they, 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 uh, they repurposed part of the railway museum for, for shots of, uh, I think it was one of the alleyways. That they yeah, used. but I mean, it was just like a shot. I don't think there was any actors in it. I think, uh, I'll, I'll, I, th- check, I think it was but... just background stuff. But the former... Girl school, Alma College, yep. has been used in. Uh, it was used in a Disney movie, um, Mister Headmistress. Right. That was for the Disney TV show, which I was a background extra in. Yay! Uh, and also in the film The Orphan, it was used as the image for uh, that uh, the orphanage burnt down, and oddly enough, so did Alma College. Uh, and they used the, our uh, one of our hospitals here for the boys and, and the scary re- uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yep. Um, it's an abandoned hospital. Government owns it. Um, actually, yeah, a few things have been filmed there. And the remake of Total Recall with Colin Farrell was shot in one of our factories. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, we get uh, we get our fair share. 
yeah, we get, we get some Hollywood attention down here. It's so kind of nice. So I'm going to talk a little bit this a little bit about this. Uh, so the first episode of season three, the final season of Star Trek Picard, played on Thursday night, and oh my god, it was awesome. It was season one and two was definitely the continuing story of Jean Luc Picard. But season three, the first episode, feels like it's the continuing story of the next generation. It felt like a sequel to the next generation. You've got Riker and Picard back together on a mission again. And it felt it felt great, man. Um, I'm excited to see that because I really felt like Nemesis was the last... Am I right? Nemesis was the last yeah. uh, next generation movie. And it kind of ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not really a cliffhanger, but it is a cliffhanger where, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen a movie over 10 years old, um, where where Data basically dies, but his brother is alive, and there's that little nugget of Data's uh, yeah. Data's personality or, or whatever you want to call um, the artificial intelligence there in his, in his brother. So... You wondered where they were going to go in the next movie, and then the next movie never happened. Yeah, and that is that is basically it. There are a lot of snippets out that leads up to that type of stuff in Picard. Yeah, but this this is this is something special. I can I feel like that first episode was truly something special. I I had all of the fan jitters watching it, and I can't wait to. I'll probably do a little bit more on the show once the season finishes. Right. I cannot wait to watch this season. It is so wonderful. And as Star Trek typically does, it was very topical because they they addressed dead naming in the episode. But again, I'll talk about that more later on when the season finishes. Right. Well, Nick, yesterday you and I went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So folks, before we discuss it, here is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Well, Nick, Marvel movie. Premiered. Another Marvel Another movie. in the MCU. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum Mania. Okay. So, I want to do this a little bit backwards. Before we get into the movie, we get into talking about it, I'm just going to give my rating for it right now. Six and a half stars. And the reason for that is it wasn't particularly anything new. And it wasn't bad. It was just very run-of-the-mill. It, I mean, yeah. it, it had a lot of cool shots in it. Yeah. I will say that right now. But it didn't and do it, anything new. Yeah. Um, or, in my opinion, even pointful. Well, I mean, the point of the movie, the entire point of the film, was to get over the fact that Kang is a huge threat. So they not they don't introduce Kang. This is the second yeah, time. When you say get over, you mean like in wrestling terms when they over somebody. Like they're, they're introducing this character and setting him up to be the, yeah, the, yeah, the big baddie like Thanos was. Yeah, and they do, especially in that first uh, end credit scene, they really do push that yeah. uh, to a point where it actually comes off as slightly ridiculous. Yeah, so I'm going to give my rating, which is not as high as yours. Yeah. I'm giving it a 5 out of 10 because, as you said, very middle of the road. It was watchable, but it wasn't particularly exciting, in my opinion. Um, it was just a Marvel movie, and 
To start off phase five, this is the wrong foot. Uh, listen, as far as I'm concerned, they can stop making these things any day now because it ended with Endgame, as far as I'm concerned. That, that was it. Everything that we've seen after that has just been the Disney cash cow trying to suck more money out of us. Now, that being said, Jonathan Majors as Kang was fantastic. He is... He's good. Yeah, he's and a I'm good lo- actor. I'm looking forward to seeing him. I think this is just a taste of what we're going to get. He brought a lot of gravitas to it, which, yeah. which is kind of amazing considering that Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas are in the cast. Now, Jonathan Majors, I initially saw in Love Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God. Like, I was blown away by him. Yeah, I get to see in, that. I want yeah. to see that. Uh, he was really good in that. He's, he's also in Creed 3, which has prompted me to I want to go through the Rocky movies and the Creed movies so I can sit down and watch Creed 3 possibly see it in the theater because I haven't I, I haven't seen the Rocky movies since I was a kid and I haven't watched Creed at all. Yeah. And I really want to see because he look like, like it looks like the um Creed 3 because of Jonathan Majors looks like it's going to be a banger of a movie. Yeah. And I'm I'm into that. And that's how good Ant-Man was everyone. We're now talking about a different movie entirely. <laughs> Listen, <sighs> it wasn't it wasn't the problem is it wasn't excellent. No. It was okay. Yeah. It was watchable. Now, let, let's just start at the beginning with that, okay? So let's talk about the cast. So you've already mentioned John Majors. Michelle Pfeiffer is is great. I mean, a lot of the, the plot revolves around Janet. But, folks, this is how kind of bored and pedestrian I, I got. Every time they said Janet, I would turn to Nick and go, Damn it, Janet, from Rocky Horror Picture Show, because... <laughs> there was just a lot, like it was longer than it needed to be because there was a lot of buildup with with them going, Janet, what did you do? And she's like, I'll tell you later. Janet, what did you do? What have you done? I'll tell you later. What have you done, Janet? I'll tell you later. Like, I, Okay, get to the, tell us, Janet. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that I did enjoy about this movie is that they, uh, they gave uh, Michael Douglas a lot more to do in this film than he has had in the previous Yeah, films. which I was glad to see, but... You know, to that point, too, there was also that plot point where, you know, they were alluding to Janet basically being stuck in the quantum realm, as we know from the other movies, um, for something like 30 years. And she basically found companionship within it. And, of course, Michael Douglas was like, well, okay, she was gone for 30 years. I needed, I had needs. And he's like, well, that's okay. I kind of had needs, too. And I'm just like... Really? Okay, like, we really don't need that information, thanks. Like, that's just kind of somebody trying to be cheeky and saying, yes, even though you're separated in a quantum realm, you can still have affairs, and it's 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 a hall pass. Um, I, 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 listen, it, it may not bother people. It just kind of bothered me because, like, you know, kids are watching this. Sure. Um, but speaking of kids, though, you had Catherine Newman as Stature, as uh, Ant-Man's daughter. And I liked the chemistry that those two had. I bought them as mm-hmm. father and daughter. Mm-hmm. And I loved the... Uh, they gave they gave Scott Lang an arc because he had to get to the point where he trusts his daughter to do the same stuff that he's doing. Right. When we meet Cassie Lang, uh, Stature, in this film, she's in jail because she went and participated in a protest. Right. And Scott's basically saying, no, you can't do that. And the yeah. argument is, you're an Avenger. Yeah. 
Like, what the hell, Dad? And yeah. it's literally a case of do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Even though Scott is very jovial about it because it's Scott Lang. Yeah. And it's Paul Rudd who is just charming as hell. And you sort of see the three generations, you know, like the the, the boomer, the Gen X, and the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. and, and that's kind of the thing is that it, it's... It's an interesting thing when you look at the dynamic between those three generations because it's very real. You have the grandchild who wants to do this. You have the parents who are saying, no, you can't do this. And then you have the grandparents saying, I'd let them do it anyway. But I think that there was also this underlying narrative uh, that Disney is not always good at bringing out where you have a narrative of the homeless situation. You have a narrative of government overreach. You have a narrative of uh, natives being pushed out, you know, and they had that in there, kind of. They had it in there, but it came off like a popcorn fart. Yeah. Like, like, like missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. Now, I'm not, okay, this is an Ant-Man film. Now, the Ant-Man movies are heist films and comedies. They're a comedy heist. I'm not expecting them to be deep, but the fact of the matter is, the blip has been set up in other in other pro- projects, and a little bit more of a follow up or a follow through on that would have been nice. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm getting a little tired of the blip, the blip, the blip, the blip. I mean, at this point, the blip was what five years ago or more. Yeah, but it's still not resolved. Like, and that's the problem is that they haven't. Yeah, but but that was the whole thing. Like they were talking about people having lost their homes because of the blip, and now they're homeless. Yeah. And that, it was a mention, and it was a move on. Well, and, and that's that's the other thing. I think that there is, and again, we're talking missed opportunities. There is an opportunity for Disney to do something really unique and really special, not something superhero-involved, yeah. but still in that universe, where they could do an anthology show about how different people have been affected by the blip. Yeah, and what was weird, too, is because this was so special effects laden, I turned to you at one point and said, why does this remind me of Star Wars? Oh, and then I realized, because Disney owns both those properties, so they're now designing all their science fiction to look the same. My friend Mark said, well, but, you know, I love those Easter eggs. It's like, but that's not an Easter egg. It's a completely separate universe and should remain a completely separate universe. Now, to be fair, I do like the fact that it did have that kind of feel to it because it did make it stand out from the rest of the Marvel films. However, and here's my caveat to that, if you're going to give this film a different feel that makes it stand out a little, give it a different feel. Don't make it a Star Wars feel. Yeah, and that and that kind of took me out of the experience because we're supposed to be in this micro quantum realm, you know, like and you know, at this point it's really getting very confusing. Yeah. You know, with the multiverse and the quantum realm and you know, that I'm not is... sure where I'm supposed to be and who and we can bring this person back if we want to and it's going to explore it more and in Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, I don't care. Okay. Disney has created something, and this is the thing. They have this in the comic books, and it can get very confusing. Disney's created something right now that has the potential to be really good or really badly confused, and they need to figure that out quick. Yeah. And make sure you... St- <laughs> it's not like we have to tell anybody, but make sure you stay for the two uh, little stingers at the end. Yep. Mid- mid-credit mid and end-credit. Moving on, Nick. Main topic today, video games. Because video Ant-Man games. And, Ant-Man and the Wild's Quantum Physics kind of had a little bit of a Tron-y feel, if you want. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. You know. Well, and just very quickly, 
that's something that, that that's the type of adventure I do like where it starts off like Tron, mm-hmm. where you start off in the one area and you go in this vast, huge adventure. You're sucked into yeah. a different world and then you end up back at the same spot. Yeah, and you know, I love that type it's of so thing. interesting too talking about video games and just we're not going to get into the history of it, we're just going to talk about our experiences. Yes, with it. because my experience in all of this is so different from yours and Rents. Yes. Because I I grew up in a time when there weren't video games. Yeah, you you kind of came into video games as where Ren and I were we were we grew up with video yeah, they games. They were already hugely yeah. established. I mean, before there were even video games, there was like the, the pinball machines. Yeah. And I have very clear memories um of of pinball machines. Like Saturday Saturday was was cool because we got to go bowling. You know, five-pin bowling, that's what uh, my dad had, a, my brother and I enrolled in. And there, were, of course, were pinball games in the old uh, downtown bowling alley, which isn't there anymore, unfortunately. Um, but just the sound of a pinball game, the click of the flippers, the ringing of the bells, the, 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 the turning of the score. And it wasn't even digitalized at that point. Like, it literally had to rotate the numbers on, like, some sort of dial. Like, very intricate machines. And you could tilt them so easily. And if you tilt it, what a tilt means is that the machine shuts down because you are cheating somehow by hitting the machine too hard or trying to manipulate the ball. And the machine knows that the machine says, screw you, I'm shutting down. Machine shuts down and the ball just goes and you can't click the flippers. You can't do anything. And then when the ball bearing hits back again, machine fires up again and says, okay, let's go. So the great thing is, as video games and arcades evolved, so did pinball games. And we started seeing tie-ins with actual things like the Munsters or Elvira or Star Wars or anything like that. And they became more digitized so that you could actually see the score. And they became a little more interesting and fun to play. It wasn't just like there were multi-balls now all of a sudden. And there were uh, trap doors and all kinds of things that you could play and actually took a lot more skill in a way to try and get those high scores. Now, when I was a teenager, we didn't really have arcades anymore, at least none local to this area. Um, but I was out with my mom one day, and I can't remember where we were, but I happened upon an old school pinball machine. And man, I was so excited when I found <laughs> this. I had to play it. And yeah, I, I didn't actually really only... Um, experience I had had with pinball machines prior were on video games. Yeah. And yeah, it was really, really fun to have that tactile experience with a, with a pinball machine. Yeah, I remember taking a kid to task because he was talking about gaming skills. I was like, well, my generation has gaming skills. And I said, son, you don't want to talk to me about gaming skills because you have no idea what it was like to take one quarter, put it in a video game in a smoke-filled room and get a high score and play and beat a game. When you can do that, we can talk about video skills. We can talk about gaming skills. It reminds me of that scene from Back to the Future 2 with Elijah Wood, of all people, um, when he was a very young kid. He's a kid in arcade, and Marty comes up, and he starts playing the, the game with the peripheral gun. Right. And he shoots, and gets a high score on it. And then Elijah Wood's like, it's like a baby's game. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. But Ren made a really good point about the video games, too, and about um, 
Well, go ahead and, and say what it was, Ren, about playing video games versus playing them in an arcade. Oh, yeah. If you go to an arcade, there's only certain hours that you have to play those games. Right. When, if you're at home, you can play them for 24 hours and, you know, no one's really going to stop you except for your internet connection. Yeah, exactly. But... And, and that that's kind of the thing is, as uh, when I was a kid, I think I was seven or eight, I got my first console, which was a Super Nintendo. Yeah. And since then, I have always had at least at least one console from each generation. So I had the Super Nintendo. I had the N64. I had the PlayStation, the PlayStation 2, and the GameCube. I had PS3, yeah. PS4, PS5, and Switch. Like, you, you had it all. Because, like, if I wanted to play, say, Donkey Kong, I had to save up quarters. I had to, like, pick out quarters, save them up, wait for a Saturday... And go somewhere where the, the where they had the video game, whether it be an arcade, whether it be a corner store, whether it be a bowling alley, whatever, right? And so, now, if I want to play Donkey Kong, I just need to uh, buy it and download it. Yeah. That simple. See, when I was a kid, so I grew up in the States, we had arcades a bunch of different places. Like, obviously, we had, like, Chuck E. Cheese and stuff like that. Right. But I'd never actually been to Chuck E. Cheese but we had at the bowling alley, there was a big arcade. We had the roller rinks that had a whole arcade section. So we would do like roller rink birthday parties. Yeah, and then yeah. afterwards, you'd go to the arcade area. Yeah. So we had that arcade kind of set up. And it, some of it did have the smoke like yeah. in it. But yeah, I because it was sort of coming to the end for them. Yeah, in the 90s, it was still allowed to smoke inside yeah. and everything. Um, So I've been to arcades, like not very often, just yeah. because we never did it very much. But, yeah, it's something about the feeling of just going into, like, a building with a bunch of other people and all you're there is just to play games. Yeah, yeah. It's a great experience. There's actually cafes now that you can do gaming cafes. You can bring your laptops and stuff. Not exactly the same idea, but you can still, it's a social area that you can go and everybody's playing whatever game they happen to be playing. Yeah, and I think that there's um, places popping up now that are sort of taking that arcade experience to the next level. They're, They're... Putting it in for the nostalgia, but you can get food, you can, yes. you know, you, yeah. there's other things, and they just have a ton of things, and you you pay, like, a fee, and then you can go we ahead have, and play. We have two areas in, like near us that do that kind of arcade kind of setup. Nick, are were arcades, I know they have arcades in the, the UK and Scotland, yeah. shells. were they different than ours? Um, so, most of the arcades were in seaside towns, That I, that's, that's what I remember, and the... Arcade would typically be on in the corner of a building, mm-hmm. like the outside corner. Right. And it would be like it'd be the, the wall, like it would be these big open areas inside the building. There'd be like no doors. And you go in and it's like any other arcade, but they were very, they were bright. They were, they were um, all very neon and very, uh, very colorful. So wouldn't, would the weather get in? Because you said there were no doors, like it was completely open. Yeah, so like yeah, to me, that would that would almost damage the the games. I would think you're asking me you're asking me a question I don't remember the answer to. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just kind of how I remember it. Uh, for like, if you ever want to see an example of it in the movie Saint Maud, uh, when she, right. when Maud's running uh, walking through the town, you actually see one of these arcades. As she's walking through. Right. So that kind of gives you an idea of what they look at. So really it's just the design's a little different, yeah. but not nothing unusual because we've had arcades at Seaside Resorts here too. Yeah. So yeah. 
yeah, that's that's kind of neat though. It's kind of neat to think of it as being part of like the beach experience and the yeah, uh, the experience of having a holiday as as they call it in yeah in in the UK. Um, so one of my favorite games that I really really saved my quarters for that I loved playing was uh, Starhawk. Now Starhawk is a grid game. I mean, th- this is in the infancy of video games. Okay, so. It came out kind of after Star Wars, you know, and it, you. there were two models, I think. I think there were two models. Um, one was a stand-up model where right. your typical button and joystick and everything. But the other one was more immersive where you actually got to sit in like a cockpit thing and you're flying in space, supposedly, along a track pretty much like the Death Star, at, yeah. you know, going to blow up the Death Star. And, of course, these ships come at you and you have to destroy them and they burst into sticks and fly away. It sounds so simplistic, but it was so much fun to play. Now, speaking of Star Wars there, they they did have a similar Star Wars game. And one of the really cool things is they added it as a unlockable extra in Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 for the GameCube. Oh, neat. Yeah, it was really kind of cool. So I got some time to be able to play that long after it had left arcades and just the general public viewing. But that was the interesting thing about those standalone video games. The, the They were designed so that you couldn't win them. Yeah. You know, because well, it, it either got faster or it just got uh, more difficult or whatever. Like, if you think about Pac-Man, it's a very simple thing, but you can get trapped by the ghost and boom. Like, you really yeah. have... You can get some skills. You can get a high score. But you can never beat the game. Well, and I'd say that's the same for basically any arcade game I've ever played anyway. You have the ability to continue playing and continue playing to get a high score, to get a high score, to get a high score. But there's no real, as far as I know, end to a lot of these games. Yeah, whereas video games generally have a story to them now. Yes. And you you can complete that story and then it opens up free play. I'm thinking particularly of the Godfather game that I loved and I beat and I watched and I say, hey, now you can do free play. Great. There's really nothing to do. Well, and that, that's kind of the progression as well. Like, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that Grand Theft Auto was the first sandbox game because I know it's not. But sandbox game games kind of came into prominence after Grand Theft Auto, and the those progressed into having side missions. And the more side missions there were, it really uh, made the after game a lot more robust. Yeah. And those are, those are the types of games I like are sandbox games where you can go and you can explore and there's all sorts of different things to do, whether they're in... Like Grand Theft Auto V. Yeah, it's a huge world. Yeah, there's a ton of um, side missions to do, but there's also a ton of things that you can do in the game, even online. You can go and play darts with your friend in Grand Theft Auto Online. Right. You can play pool and all that stuff. It's, a lot, it's really cool. Tennis. You can play tennis and golf. Um, a lot of in-game stuff that you can do that's a ton of fun. Yeah, and so sometimes they have these really neat kind of Easter eggs or these these funny sort of things in some of those games from probably around, uh, I want to say 2010 or whatever. Um, I was playing this Scarface game, and I thought, oh, I know, I'm going to evade it by swimming. And you start swimming out, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, why can't I play? And you see... Uh, Tony, he's sitting there, and he's looking around, and then this shark jumps up and yeah. eats him. And I'm just like... Wait, that what? Is, that is a creative way to kind of get around. Like, all these open world games have a uh, 
have a, an invisible wall. And that was a really creative way to just kind of do away with the invisible wall. I really loved that. Um, that well, I didn't because I didn't know when I was trying to, <laughs> to escape the game. And all of a sudden, I was, I was horrified. There is no escape, John. It's, it's like suddenly suddenly Bruce the Shark is here. Like, talk about your crossovers. Holy. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, growing up, it was... For me, it was side-scrollers like Mario. I loved Super Mario World. I think Super Mario World was actually the first game I had ever actually beat. Yeah. Uh, now, now getting back to the arcade games, though, just briefly, I, I we can't have this discussion, I don't think, without talking about Dragon's Lair. Yeah. I mean, this was a technological advancement in video games really well ahead of its time. Because, uh, first of all, Don Bluth did the animation. Don Bluth is behind All Dogs Go to Heaven, A Secret of Nim, Anastasia, the, you know. So you've had this, for the first time ever, you're playing an animated cartoon video game. It was hard to play, let me tell you. But what disappoints me about it is the fact that they didn't make a Dragon's Lair movie. Yeah. I, I wish the heck they had done that. I mean, that just would have been fantastic. I agree with that. Um, I'm going to be very honest with you. I've like I know Dragon's Lair exists. I have seen, I've seen Dragon's Lair, but I've never actually played it. And that's probably dead. Well, I don't know if there was ever any home home console version of it. There must have been. It's hard to say, but I don't know that it would have. I don't know that you could have. No, no, I can. No, it was available on Nintendo, um, but I never played it. I didn't know anyone that had but it. But would it have had the same quality? Yeah, would have for Nintendo. Yeah. The original Nintendo, yeah, they would have. But like that's that's the thing though, is um yeah, I just never had a chance to play it. Well, I'd love to play it. But... One of the things about Dragon's Lair though is it was expensive. It was expensive for the arcade to purchase, and it was kind of expensive to play because it would it's one of the first times where it was more than just a quarter. And I think that the reason Dragon's Lair kind of failed was the maintenance of it was difficult. And the expense of it was difficult, and the arcades weren't really seeing their money back. Yeah. You know, so uh, Dragon Slayer is just one of those wonderful bits of cultural iconography that uh, has sadly gone by the wayside a little bit. But uh, it's just, it's, I really wanted to see a Dragon Slayer movie. I, I think there might have been a cartoon series, though. I'm not sure. Um, we'll have we'll have to look that up. Can we look that up, Ren, and see if there was a cartoon series of of Dragon's Lair? Yep. Give me a moment. So yes, there was a Dragon's Lair animated show. It had thirteen half hour episodes from September nineteen eighty four to April nineteen eighty five. So it didn't last long, no. unfortunately. Um, I don't remember watching it, but I do remember that they did that. So that's kind of cool. But I would love to try and find that. I don't know if it's available anywhere um, to own on Blu-ray or DVD or anything like that. But you know what? We'll look that up afterwards and see. Yeah. So going into... So any as I mentioned, it was available on the NES. The NES just kind of changed everything. The Nintendo, for those who don't know, NES stands for Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, that's where you had your first series of at-home Mario games, Super Mario Land and all that stuff. 
uh, Super Mario Brothers, and they, of course, ported over Donkey Kong, and they had Legend of Zelda. A lot of iconic games were available for that original system. Um, I like I never had the NES, but I knew people that did. Right. Then the SNES came, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, and my parents got me that. That was my first system, and I played Super Mario World. I ran that game into the ground. <laughs> um, Yoshi is a casualty of war. I don't care. And, uh, um, of course, there was Star Fox as well. Yeah. The original Star Fox game for SNES changed a lot, uh, just a lot of things, because it was the first one... It, was, it wasn't It was a 16-bit game like the rest of them. It was a higher-resolution game, and it was really neat to play. Um, and, of course, then they did Star Fox 64, and that kind of perpetuated my love for uh, for flying games. Right. You know, it's, it's really interesting because you're talking about these game systems, which, of course, came way after the ones that were introduced when I was a kid. I mean, let's go back. When I was an absolute young child going over to my aunt and uncle's on the Sunday afternoon, and my cousins had Pong. Yep. You know, and of course we had to play Pong, and we'd play Pong for a good amount of time. But then we go into Atari, and the only way I can describe the graphics on an Atari system is kind of close in look to Minecraft. Yeah. I mean, because it was it's very blocky. Now, Minecraft is actually even better than this, but it was like... Just little blocks of people that you would move with your joystick and you had one button and that was kind of it. And whether you were playing Pitfall or whether you were playing uh, E.T. or Indiana Jones or... Oh, or oh E.T. Any, anything that came out, um, there was like the kangaroo. Didn't matter what you were playing. It was all this kind of like block system thing and uh, yeah. My but uncle, I had fun with, it. I my had fun uncle, with it. My uncle had an Atari and I did get to play that uh, for quite a bit actually. <laughs> uh, before I ever got my hands on any uh, on a Nintendo, but yeah, like that at the time, that was cutting edge technology, and it's really kind of neat because, like, what was did did you ever think when you were a kid playing with this stuff? Did you ever think it would go from that to what it is now? No, no, not at all. I mean, the next sort of level after Atari was ColecoVision. Yeah, you know, um, at least that's what I'm remembering. But I mean. Listen, I am so mad. I will never, ever forgive my brother for this. My parents saved up money to get us an Atari system for Christmas. And I loved it, and I played with it, and I played with it a long time until my brother in his squirrel brain decided he wanted to take it apart. And why did he take it apart? I have no idea. Jesus. <sighs> okay. Other than to see how it worked, I don't know, because I don't know what he was doing or what he thought. Because, hey, I can take it apart. I can't put it back together. And at never point did I, did I ever look at my Super Nintendo and go, hey, I want to take that apart. Oh, my dad was so mad. Oh, my dad was so mad. And, of course, I was sad, because, and I was angry. Yeah. But just going back to consoles... So you had your super. I had the Super Nintendo, and I loved my Super Nintendo. I got frustrated with it, but well, with different mm-hmm. games. But then the N sixty four came out, and that really changed a whole lot. You had that um, behind the shoulder view of Mario and Mario sixty four. Yeah, and that changed my entire my entire vision yeah. on how video games 
can be and are. And modernly, you know, when Sony came out with PlayStation and then there was the Xbox, I mean, that to me is what has sort of elevated and brought in the whole gamer thing. Yeah. Um, as, as much as I'm not an Xbox person, I do understand and recognize the fact that it was very, very important in the grand scheme of Well, you had an Xbox, though, nope, didn't you? never had an Xbox. Only ever had Sony and Nintendo. Well, who had, who had the Xbox? I remember playing Xbox at your place. Um, someone brought an Xbox over. I can't oh, okay. Who. That's what it was. Now, uh, funny story about funny story about video games. Oh my god, this I love this one. You, me, Alex, and Johnny G, over at your place. You invite me over. These guys grew up gaming. They are savage with it. Playing that wrestling game, and it was a ladder match. And they are beating the crap out of me, and they are just goofing off, and they are just having the a whale of a time. I can't get a shot in anywhere playing this, and these arrogant twits decimated one another and got so arrogant about it that I just went up the ladder and I got the thing and I won the match and I beat you suckers. No regrets. That was a great finish. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's the other thing. Like, um, a big part of my gaming growing up is the wrestling games. Yeah. Uh, Johnny and I, we, we would spend weekends playing wrestling games, creating our own storylines, writing down notes. Like that was a huge part of it. And I'm at a point where all of my friends straight up refuse to pro play wrestling games because they know they're going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> well, any game, really, because I don't have the the speed that you have. You have no qualms about burning through a controller. I don't want to do that. I saw you one day. You got so mad and you threw the controller on the floor. And I'm like, dude, those are not cheap. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. The uh, the PS5 controllers are nearly $100. So, yeah, yeah that ain't happening. <laughs> but in saying that, the Super NES controllers, man, they could they could take a beating. Well, especially from you. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, like it's it's fun to play. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, whether or not they're playing video games is a waste of time, as some people might think, or whether or not they, sh they have a benefit. All I can say is, like, it's a lot of fun to play them, and it's a lot of fun to play them with your friends. And... It's, it is a mindless distraction. It can distract you from all kinds of things. Like, it can actually help you get through a bad breakup. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I did. I mean, the, I was so angry at that one uh, breakup that I had that I just kind of went into myself and I thought, I just want to lash out at something. And the wrestling game made it perfect. Yeah. Because I could just sit there and, and pound on other on something that's not going to pound me back and just doesn't care. And, you know, and you know, like the nice thing is, is you can change the difficulty on that. Yeah. So if you really just want to pound the crap out of it, easy yeah. it is. Well, it's, uh, that's what I always have on. I always have it on easy because I'm here to not be frustrated. Well, yeah, and that's the thing with me is I always put it on easy as well now because I just want to experience the story because I'm a full-grown adult with adult things and don't have the time. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard you refer to yourself as an adult. Thank you. I actually joined a study through a game on Steam, the Pressure Washer Simulator, that tested, this was through Oxford, um, tested how stress levels would lower as you were playing video games. Oh, yeah. So they tested, like, when you first started the session, uh, you'd say, you know, how's your anxiety level? How's your stress level? How are you feeling? Right. And then throughout the game, they would... Uh, 
ask you different questions of the same sort. And there's, are you enjoying yourself? Are you calm? How are you feeling? Are you interested in this? So they have a report going. Yeah. And it was like a special thing that you could download. So it didn't mess with the rest of your game. But it was it was a whole study that they were doing. That would be interesting that. because there are games like there's always that level that just frustrates you, especially when you're playing the game for the very first time. Ugh. Like the, I never thought I was gonna finish that Godfather game because there were just moments and you know, like sometimes you, you try everything and you know, sometimes you just take the car and you run down to the other mob guys because it's like I, I really am not going to be able to be coordinated enough to aim and shoot and then because the the computer cheats. I don't care what anybody says. It is programmed to not let you win. And like I'm still stuck on one of the bosses for Resident Evil 2 because it it's hard. It, and I got it on easy and it's still hard. Well there a couple of those Batman games I had to call you and say, Nick, come over and get me past this level. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I'm sorry, I did not grow up. I don't have the coordination to take the Batarang, throw it, get it through this little tiny slit in the fence to hit a button on the other side. I just do, I don't have that skill. I just don't. Yeah. I enjoyed the games, but I don't have that skill, man. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I love those Batman games, especially... Uh, What's well, a huge world? I know. Oh, man, Arkham Knight. Like, I did finish to... that one. Being able to just drive around Gotham City yeah. in the Batmobile is so cool. Yeah, I like the... Is it Arkham Asylum? I like that one. Yeah. But the problem is with all those Riddler things in there, you can spend a lot of time searching oh, for yeah. stuff. So I created a checklist in Excel for the Riddler trophies to make sure that I got all of them. Because I I was I was obsessed with those. Yeah. I had to get all the Riddler trophies. Yeah, and, and I don't blame you. There's still one in Arkham Asylum. I see it on the map. I can't, and I've tried to. I've looked online to figure out how to get this thing, and I can never find it. Where is so, it? Uh, it's outside near where the uh, the Arkham Asylum Batcave is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I have that one. I've never been able to figure it out. <laughs> um, and there's always neat things that they put like side missions. That they put into the game, like in Grand Theft Auto Four, they had a side mission where you had to kill a uh, hundred pigeons, uh, and the, it was really funny because the, the title the title they gave that trophy was Rats with Wings. Why? Because it's Grand Theft. Really? <laughs> yeah, but why? Why would you have to kill pigeons? Because anyway. that's what they did. Listen, for, for me with the Grand Theft Auto, what I really love doing is just driving around, shooting people, and ramping the cars up. Oh, and pigeons is where you where you cross the line. Well, they're not real people, but I don't know pigeons. I know they're not real pigeons, but I mean, still, it's the cruelty to animal thing. I don't yeah, know. It's... So the I, I can't talk about video games without bringing up Pokemon. Of course not. Uh, Pokemon is a video like there's certain video game series like the wrestling games and Pokemon that has just been an ongoing part of my life. For 20 plus years. Pokemon I first picked up when I was 12. And it was Pokemon Red. And I... The cartoon was already on the air at the time. And I just like blown off. Oh, whatever. This yeah. is stupid. And then my friend got Pokemon Blue. Yeah. And I tried it. I'm like, this is cool. Because the thing with the Pokemon games is that there's so much lore built into it. With the Pokedex... You read about all the different profiles of the Pokemon, and of course there's all the different Pokemon. It snatches you right there and then. It just yeah. grabs your attention, and you're good to go. I'm not a big fan of role-playing games, 
but Pokemon is the first role-playing game I've ever picked up and went, you know what? I love this. But but now you, you get video games on your phone, like Bubble Witch or or <laughs> yeah. Pokemon Go or whatever, right? You get these little video games that you can just play and take wherever you want to yeah. want to go. Free downloads and all kinds of stuff. But you know, it's it's really interesting too, just how some of these characters became so iconic and and just got right in there, like Pac-Man. Pac-Man had a Saturday morning cartoon. Cubert, yep. Saturday morning cartoon. Sonic the Hedgehog, two movies now, right? Two movies and multiple Saturday yeah. morning cartoons. Yeah, like it's just, it's it's amazing how we gravitate to these things and how some of them really rise up and some of them just kind of peter oh, away. Oh, man. Okay, so one of the cool things, they, they released a new trailer for, for the Super Mario movie. Yeah. And there, do you remember back in the 80s, they had a Super Mario TV show with Captain Lou Albano yeah. as Super Mario? They're, no. they're, they're using the theme from that uh, from that TV show in the in the I, movie. I actually don't remember that. You never saw. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, Captain Albano is uh, Captain is Lou Albano was. Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I that remember, was Brad Garrett. I remember uh, Lou Albano being in Cindy Lauper videos. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, so what it was, it was a Saturday morning cartoon, but he had these live action scenes with Lou Albano dressed up oh as Mario. Gosh. It was man, you, I, I, I can, I need to show you that. That is wild. But yeah, they, they're using the theme from that song or from that show in the new movie, which is so cool. Okay, quick question: favorite video game of all time, Ren? Of all time? Of all time? Ugh, Mass Effect. Tell me about that one. Mass Effect is an RPG in space. Okay. In um, space. It's amazing. I love, there's four games, three of the main series, and then one that came out afterwards. Uh, it takes place on a spaceship, and you're trying to, like, save humanity from these creatures and stuff. But the, you, just the characters are so well fleshed out, and it's so well designed, and the lines, they have iconic lines, just... It's Shepard's favorite place in the Citadel. It's Garrus is constantly uh, recalibrating everything no matter what happens. You can make friends with these characters. You choose different paths. It is so fun. I absolutely love my space games. So Mass Effect is just... Mm. Nick? I hate you. <laughs> um, to choose a favorite game... Um, God. Probably I would have to say... And this is this is this is a tie. It's gonna be either Star Fox sixty four or along the same lines, uh, Rogue Squadron for the GameCube. Those two games are bar none the my favorite. I love flight games. I love space flight games. Right. And being able to just drop into the Star Wars universe and fly an X wing or do a barrel roll in Star Fox is just pure bliss for me. And they are just, yeah, you're shooting at other ships, but honestly, they're just so relaxing to me. I love them. Uh, for me, I really miss my Atari console. Thanks, Bill. Um, <laughs> because there was, I can't remember the name of it, honestly, but there was this one video game that you put in. And talk, I guess we just grew up in a, a, a sort of extended space age, right? A space fantasy age where the one cartridge was uh, a space game where you were actually on a mission and you actually had to fly to the place. So 
supposedly, and do battle with the uh, alien or villain or whatever with their ship. And you had to go to all the different ones, and there were multiple ones that came until you you uh, got them all and completed the game. But you actually had to plot a course to get there. You know, so like sometimes you might go to one that's closer to your base or I think I played that. Yeah, but I can't remember what it's called, and that's driving me nuts. Let's, I know you can do that in Mass Effect. Yeah, you can. <laughs> let's look it up and see what it was called. Oh, and let, let's talk well, Ren's looking at let's talk about that for a second. So Mass Effect is a game I really enjoy too. And yeah, you do get it's really cool because you get to plot uh plot your course. Right. And you can survey certain planets as well. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, and I <laughs> I love the fact that I can't remember these things because I sit there and think to myself, am I getting dementia? And then if I remember something like Starhawk, I'm like, woohoo, I'm not getting dementia. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to see how video games build on each other. There's something like a rudimentary game where you're flying to different planets yeah. and then it becomes, that, that, and that's the entire thing of the game, but then it becomes an aspect, just a smaller aspect of another larger game yeah and what's interesting too though is like you see something like minecraft which is very primitive looking but it's become this massive massive thing well, because of the world building that yeah exactly and that, that's why minecraft is so primitive looking so they can have this massive huge extensive incredibly massive open world well we can't find it, it might have been called starfighter i'm not sure but anyway uh one thing i do want to talk about before we wrap it up is sims yeah Sims really kind of took off, but it's it's a kind of a weird game because it's like, why am I playing a game where my whole goal is to get up, go to work, clean the house, and cook and get and pay my bills? Like, so there there was one of the iterations of Sims that I really enjoyed, where maybe it was called Castaway or something like that, where you fall off a ship and you're on an island, and it's like, you know what, this yeah, this makes sense, and you you have to gather monkeys to do your bidding. That's hilarious. <laughs> you know? And you have to build things, you actually have to survive. So to me, that was so much better because it's like, hey, great. I mean, yeah, I can walk out in the ocean and my stink level goes down. You know, fantastic. I I love the Sims games. I love the earlier Sims games because you could mod them so easily on the PC. You just add in random crap into your game. Yeah. But I also really enjoyed putting them in the pool and then taking the ladder away. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, you could murder your Sim for whatever reason. And sometimes you want to do it just so death would show up. You know, just so you could see the Grim Reaper, like, pop up. It's like, ha-ha, and take your Sim away, and then he comes back. I'm yeah. pretty sure I just did it because I'm kind of sadistic. Oh, but it's, it's kind of weird because you can do the woohoo as they call it yep. in Sims, you know? So, like, your whole goal is to not be rejected by somebody and, you know, and it's like... I, I found that what I what I love about The Sims is it's kind of fun in that little fantasy world because you can look for aliens and get abducted and you can build a house and you can, you know, decorate it really neat and you can have a life that isn't your life. But at the same time, you sit there and you go, this takes so much time. Yeah. And I just kind of like in one of the, the versions, you go to work and instead of letting you actually play at work. You're, you're kind of paused for a little while as you're working and you hear work noises and the day, the clock kind of goes down and you're like, okay, I would have rather this had been something where I actually could have, because I'm working at, in like a secret laboratory where you're growing things or you're like some fantasy thing that doesn't exist. 
it would be fun to play. Like, let me grow Audrey too. You know, <laughs> I, like as far as si- like overall simulation games go, I I enjoy like the ones where you get to build your own part. You, like, there's Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh yeah, Sim City. I love Sim, Sim City. City. Uh, there's also a new one, newer one, not a new one, but a newer one called Cityscape. Um, I, of course, love my Jurassic World Evolution games. See, I like that. I like those building games where you get to build something because you can take your time. Yeah. But mind you, like all the little people that populate it are such dickwads. Well, my problem with the Jurassic World Evolution games... This one is boring me. It's the raptors. Because the raptors will just escape. Yeah. For no reason. Will they devour the... Yes. Mm -hmm. Devour the masses. Oh, oh my God. Okay. They added the Atrociraptor from Jurassic World Dominion to Jurassic World Evolution. And when it when it attacks a guest, it bites down on the guest's arms and drags them down to the ground. It is so vicious. But anyway. I forgot about Goat Simulator. Oh, Goat Simulator. And I'm really looking forward to Squirrel with a Gun. Oh, Goat Simulator. I'm looking forward to Goat Simulator 3. Uh, three now? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There was no Goat Simulator 2. It's just Goat Simulator 3. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we got to play that again. That's such yeah. a fun thing to play. I See, that's what I, I like something that's just fun. I can do it at my own pace. I don't have to, like, fight some, you know, bad-looking thing there that are games, pops out of the bowels of hell. There are games that I like to sit down and just, Like, I like pick-up-and-play games. Yeah. But I also like games with a story. And, like, if you look at stuff like Heavy Rain, if you look at stuff like The Last of Us, even uh, one of my favorite games is uh, the Ghostbusters video game, the stories are completely solid and totally wonderful and totally worth going through it just for sure. the story. Yeah, yeah, they can be. And it's it's like having your own little miniature movie. Yeah. And sometimes they become movies, like Rampage. Yeah. I love I loved the game. <laughs> my favorite thing is, like, on the PS2, because I've got the Rampage game. I just love listening to the guy on the skateboard. Uncool, bro. Like, it's just, oh my gosh. Oh, and every time I played it, I, I would play the little cinema thing at the start with the computer animation because it was so much fun to watch. And like, there's the thing is, like, video games have a uh, reputation for being bad adaptations to movies. And there is definitely an argument for that. Super Mario Brothers and Mortal Kombat Annihilation definitely come to mind. Yeah. But some of them, like the Sonic movies were solid. Um, I really enjoyed the first Mortal Kombat movie. The remake was really good. And like Rampage was fantastic. Yeah. And Aliens, we would love to hear what your favorite video game is. So Nick, tell them how they can contact us. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Area51H, as well as looking for us on Facebook by searching for Area51 and a half. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash the area 51H. Thank you for joining us on our landing pad aliens for Ren and Nick and Spooky Uncle John. Uh, we are signing off from Area 51 and a half. <laughs> I love that. That was so much fun. Thank you.